Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today, you are in for a great episode. Genesis 3 is the chapter that the entire rest of the Bible, and really, the entire story of humanity is based on. And I'm not really being overdramatic about that statement, I promise. This chapter sets up the conflict between God and mankind and provides the reason why we have a salvation story, why we need a Redeemer. Remember, we're reading this through the lens of an ancient Hebrew as an origin story that would have passed on through a lot of oral storytelling before it was captured by our author. Many other ancient cultures had origin stories, but none have a story quite like this. And let's be honest, none of those have survived the test of time like the Hebrew story. So we've read chapters one and two. We know the basics of creation and the specific creation of Adam and Eve. We've learned about God's character through the creation story. He created variety and abundance. We know he's a God that provided for his creation that he determined his creation was good, that he cared about man's loneliness and was compassionate. He gave mankind purpose and freedom and blessings. And Adam and Eve lived in the most ideal circumstances. They literally had a perfect life. So how could they screw it up? I mean, what happened? Today, we're going to take a look. Chapter 3 opens with these words, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The first word is translated now, and it indicates a change in scene. We have shifted from our last scene of Adam and Eve being united as husband and wife, to this scene. Do we know how much time has passed? No, we have no idea. People make all kinds of guesses about the timing of chapter three. The truth is, we don't know how much time has passed. God didn't prompt the author to write about that. We just know we have a scene change. We also have a description of a serpent. The version I read said he was more crafty than any other beast. This word can also mean shrewd or clever. In Hebrew, the word is transliterated arum. And I'm pointing this out because there's a little word play that's happening here. The word in the verses above that are indicating that Adam and Eve were naked, the word for naked is translated arumim. So they were arumim and the serpent was arum. And we don't pick up on this in English, but in the Hebrew, it's very clear and it's an important concept the writer is drawing out through this wordplay because in this scene, we are going to see their nakedness become their shame. 
but let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Okay, so we've got a new scene, a serpent who's very crafty or shrewd or clever, and this serpent speaks to Eve. Wait a second. A snake speaks to Eve? Was this normal? Did other animals talk? Was it not normal, but Eve hadn't been alive long enough to know it wasn't normal? Was this surprising to Eve? But she went with it because there were no other girlfriends to get together with and discuss? I mean, I have no idea. All we know is that the serpent speaks to Eve, and she replies. We can gather that it is the devil from other passages, because in Genesis 3, he's just referred to as the serpent. But Revelations 12.9 says, So that huge dragon, the ancient serpent, the one called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and his angels all along with him. So we know that this serpent, who is Satan, speaks to Eve, and many translations pose this as a question. Most versions say something along the lines of, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the garden or orchard? And in the spirit of translating meaning, that is the intent of what the serpent is saying. He's challenging Eve's understanding of what God said. But in the Hebrew, this first thing the serpent said is not actually a question. It's a statement. And this is one of those tricky things in translation where you want to capture the meaning, but if you do a word for word or phrase for phrase, sometimes it's awkward and clunky in English. So this is a more literal rendition of what he says here. To be sure... God has said, you shall not eat of all the trees of the garden. Did you catch that? It's just a statement. Now let's use this statement and really think about how the serpent is twisting things and deceiving Eve. I'm going to try to put myself in Eve's shoes and think like an ancient Hebrew. And if I'm Eve and I'm listening to him, I might get pretty twisted up in his meaning. He says, to be sure. So he's saying, let's make sure you've really got this. God has said, you shall not eat of all the trees. Wait, does this mean I should question if I cannot eat of all, but I can eat of some? Or should I question if I'm even allowed to eat from any? To be sure, God has said, you shall not eat of all the trees of the garden. What is he making me question here? And at this point, how I wish Eve had just walked away and not even engaged. Here was the serpent telling her to question what God had said. Now, it's perfectly acceptable for us to question what God has said and verify it with God. Perhaps we aren't clear or perhaps we forgot. But this is not what the serpent is doing here. He's probing her own understanding and casting God's spoken word in an unfavorable light. But maybe Eve didn't hear it straight from God. We only have it recorded that God told Adam about the two trees. Maybe God himself didn't give Eve those directions. Maybe Adam passed it on and Eve wasn't as clear to her. Maybe Adam muddled the message. I don't know. But if it wasn't clear to Eve what God said at this point, how I wish she would have stopped and gone straight to God think he would have cleared up any confusion or misunderstanding. But instead, Eve responds to the serpent. The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. Oh, Eve. So very close, but not quite right. Let's look closely at her response. First, she says, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard. Now let's compare this to what God actually first said to Adam. Back in chapter two, verse 16, it says, you may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard. Do you see the difference? Or rather, did you hear it? God said, you may freely eat from every tree of the garden. And Eve said, we may eat of the fruit from the trees. Leaving out those little words that emphasize freedom and abundance is already ebbing away at God's word. This is why it's so important for us to read and know God's word for ourselves. Don't depend on someone else. Don't depend on an Adam, if that's indeed how Eve received God's word. Go to it yourself. Read it. Know it. Because as I'm sure you know, you will face temptation. You will be in Eve's position if you haven't already. Questioning. Did God really say? Next, Eve says to the serpent, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. Hmm. Now, is that what God said? Let's check. Let's check God's word. Back to Genesis 2, verse 17. God says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. See, she's so close, but she missed again. God specifically said, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve says that concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle. Notice, she doesn't specifically call out the name of the tree. She's got its location, but it's not the only tree in the middle. God was very specific about this tree. God said, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. And Eve said it this way. God said, you must not eat from it and you must not touch it or else you will die. Notice, she added something to God's word. She claimed he said they couldn't touch it either. But God never said that. He said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. Eve adds that she can't touch it, but leaves out they will surely die. So in her response, it's clear that Eve is not certain about God's word. She has the general idea but she's left things out and she's added things that aren't there. And oh, are we guilty of this? How many times do we add legalistic things to our lives and the judgment of others' lives and yet ignore or subtract things from God's word that don't suit us? Or is it more a case of we just don't know it? It's been passed on what God says this or God says that, but we've never studied it for ourselves or even just read it to be sure of what God says. And if we still lack clarity, we're told in James chapter one to ask for wisdom. Eve, oh Eve, why didn't you just call out to God and ask him to clarify his word? It was the most perfect, most ideal environment, but the serpent was crafty. 
He got Eve just where she was weak in her understanding of what God said. And then after engaging her, he pounced. Verse four, the serpent says to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Surely you will not die. A straight and total contradiction of God's word. In this sentence, the serpent not only brings the word surely back in, the word Eve had left out, but in effect calls God a liar. God said, surely you die? Surely you will not. Eve, this is the point where you run. The point when you hear someone say that God's word is not true. That it's actually the opposite of what God says that is true. You run. You run back to God and back to his word. But that's not what she did. And sadly, that's not what we always do. Instead, the serpent goes on and she keeps listening. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there, there is the temptation. Knowledge, power, getting something you don't have but you want, right? Those aren't the real rewards. It's a lie. Now, let's pause for just another quick reminder of Hebrew. In the first verse of this chapter, it said the serpent was more crafty than any creature the Lord God has made. That name for God is Yahweh Elohim, or could be pronounced Jehovah Elohim. It's the very personal name of God. Then, as the dialogue gets going, God is called Elohim. Remember that Elohim can be plural or singular, and it would be better translated in English as spiritual being instead of God because it's a title, not a name. Serpent isn't using God's personal name here. Neither is Eve. So when he says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, it's like he's saying, for Elohim knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. And that's why some translations say you will be like little g gods and other translations say you will be like capital G-O-D. Either translation could be correct. The idea is that they will gain something and be like something that God is withholding from them. And he's making God seem impersonal and unfair. So what does Eve do? Does she call out to Yahweh Elohim? Does she verify what his words were? No. Verse 5. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She listened to the words of the serpent. She did not check God's words. And she saw that the tree was good for food. Now, up until this point, only God had determined goodness. God saw that creation was good. God saw that loneliness for Adam was not good. Those are judgments, God pronounced. But here we have Eve as the judge for what is good or not good. And she incorrectly judges the tree 
as good for food because it seems attractive and desirable. So she eats it and gives some to Adam. Now, are you picturing all those paintings or drawings you've ever seen depicting this scene in your head? Two white-skinned people who look very European with long hair appropriately covered in zones we don't show in public, standing at a tree, eating an apple while a snake dangles down from its branches? <laughs> to start with, I highly doubt Adam and Eve had white skin, but that's a whole other conversation on the human genome and the genetics of skin color. We also have no idea if the fruit was an apple. The only named fruit in this chapter is the fig. It's the leaves of the fig that they use to cover themselves. And do we know that they were standing at this tree with the serpent? What if the snake met Eve while Adam wasn't around and they weren't at the tree of knowledge and good of evil? What if she went and got Adam and the two went to check the tree out together while the snake looked on from a distance? We don't know how it all went down. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Adam and Eve listened to the snake's words instead of God's words. And this altered the course of human history. The snake had promised they would get the knowledge of good and evil, and they would be like Elohim. Their eyes would be opened. But here's what verse 7 says after they ate the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now let me ask you a question. When you hide yourself, is that a sign of pride or shame? <laughs> Easy answer, right? We hide things we're ashamed of. Their nakedness, as pointed out in chapter two, became a source of shame. And they wanted to cover that up and hide. But can you only imagine their conversation? Neither of them had had a mother to teach them to sew. So I'm thinking they're gathering leaves and entwining them up in a rope-like fashion, trying to make these coverings for themselves, trying to figure all this out. And the whole time, I bet they're just sweating the situation. What have we done? I don't know. We should not have done that. I know, I know. Here, can you make this work with this leaf? Okay, I, I just wonder, what's he going to say? I don't know. How does this look? Is this covering everything? I don't even want to think about what he's going to say. What's he going to do? We shouldn't have done that. I wish we hadn't listened to the snake. Are my leaves on okay? Now, of course... I'm making that whole thing up. I'm projecting my own Western experience onto the story, so it might have been a completely different exchange between them. But what we know for certain is that they're ashamed and afraid, and they're in a hurry to cover their shame up. We see here that they're ashamed, and in a few short verses, Adam will tell the Lord that he hid because he was afraid. This is what happens when we do what is contrary to God's word. For Adam and Eve, it was immediate shame, immediate awareness of their nakedness. For us, it's not always that immediate. We might engage in sin for a long time before we realize what it is. Or we might engage in sin, but our hearts are hard to the shame it brings. But eventually, sin will have consequences. And what we get from our sin is never, ever what we originally thought we'd get. The serpent promised Eve She'd be like Elohim. Her eyes would be open and she'd know good from evil. But she didn't get what she was promised. Oh, her eyes were opened. And now she knew she was naked. Now she knew she felt shame. Not wisdom. Not power. Not like a god. 
She had to hide herself, along with her husband, who, by the way, had also not sounded any alarms about this decision, rather than stopping her and saying, let's check again what God said, he just went right along. And now they have a huge problem. Their fellowship with God has been broken. There's always a consequence to sin. In our next episode, we're going to look carefully at all the ramifications of this decision. Consequences for Adam, for Eve, for the serpent, for creation, and for the rest of humanity. It's this act of disobedience that initiates the entire rest of the biblical story. And we'll talk more about that in our next episode. So let's return to the question I posed at the beginning of this episode. How on earth, with the most ideal of circumstances, did Adam and Eve mess up? I think there's a couple takeaways for us here. First of all, the serpent was crafty. Temptation to sin isn't always obvious. We need to be aware of our weaknesses and Satan's shrewdness. Second, Eve didn't know God's word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he combated it with scripture. He knew God's word and he used it to offset every temptation the devil threw at him. In season two of this podcast, when we studied Ephesians, we learned in chapter six that our one offensive weapon in spiritual warfare is the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is God's Word. So we must be students of God's Word. And third, sometimes ideal circumstances don't protect us from wanting more. Eve was enticed to have more than she already had. The serpent promised her she'd be like Elohim and her eyes would be open. She didn't stop and say, I have everything I need. I don't need any more. She had the best of the best. She had Eden and an open relationship with her creator. And yet she was tempted because she was offered more. The problem was what she was offered was a lie. And all of that is true for you and for me. Our enemy is crafty. He knows our weaknesses. He will disguise temptation for you and for me. We have to know God's word. It's our only offensive weapon against his lies. And when life seems good, when we have everything we need, don't be surprised if you find yourself tempted to have more. Now, I know we only made it seven verses today. So in our next episode, we will dig into the fallout of these consequences. But until we get there, can I encourage you to really examine the temptations in your own life? Consider how you might be falling prey to Satan's craftiness and dig into God's word to discover truths you can use to combat the lies Satan tries to tell you. To be honest, I don't know that I would have done any better if I was in Eve's shoes. But what I can do is learn from her mistake and the many, many mistakes I've made in my own life. And I can be more aware and more prepared to fight the temptation that most assuredly will come. So my hope for you is the very same thing. I'm looking forward to continuing our journey in chapter three. Let's keep seeking God's word. Let's keep seeking God because what we'll find is a God who loves us even when we commit the gravest of sins. 
Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.